Hello and a very warm welcome to this Master Investor Monthly Mashup with myself, Sarah Lother and Jonathan Davis, author, investor, podcaster, editor of the Investment Trusts Handbook and colleague at Master Investor. Well, this month there's going to be lots of numbers bandied about 13 years of the Conservative Party. Could this be their last year in office? And the cost of national debt hits a 20 year high and other stories. So Jonathan, let's talk about um, debt. The interest the government's paying on national debt has reached a 20 year high. Um, National debt for the UK currently about 2.6 trillion pounds. I say this as though it were a mere drop in the ocean, but it's significant. So how worried should we be? And which investors could benefit? Well, nothing like starting with a big, big number and a big question. Uh, Sarah, of course, uh, it is a big number, and uh, I think you know the actual number itself. Lots of noughts on it doesn't really mean much to most people. But the normal way to look at it as a percentage of GDP, in other words, of the you know the size of the economy, uh, and it has hit a new high there as well. Uh, it is something well over 100% now of GDP, and that's uh, even if you that's the official numbers, as it were. Uh, some people believe it's higher than that. So this is a this is a big problem because if you combine uh, higher debts with higher interest rates, that's going to eat up more and more your budget. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, the Tory party uh, is having to, or the Chancellor's having to put up taxes and uh, rein back on spending, including possibly HS2 and other things like that. So, yeah, it's a big problem. And I think it's only, you know, you reap what you sow, shall I put it that way? We had this long period of low interest rates, cheap money, you know, money for nothing. Uh, and that just leads people into bad habits, and particularly governments, which like to spend money if they can borrow, you know, very cheaply. They just uh, splurge it away, and uh, there has to be a reckoning, and there will be a reckoning. Uh, so, number one, not good for investors. Uh, but number two, uh, how can you take advantage of it? Well, I, I can tell you what most people are doing: they're just uh, putting their money into uh, into uh, the bank, or not, well, not into the bank, but into uh, money market funds, or into government bonds ironically the government is desperate to borrow more money uh, and people are giving it lots more money um, that may not work out so well but in the meantime you're getting five percent or something on a guilt a short dated guilt uh, which is uh, you know a lot better than it was um, you're still getting very little on the bank from your bank account uh, but you can get uh, quite good rates from uh, by shopping around on uh, some of the investment platforms so basically in the short term yeah that looks like a good place to be so we talked about the Conservative Party. So they're um they're holed up in Manchester, about to possibly tell Manchester that it isn't going to be levelled up in in the form of an HS2 extension. And there is um there is a huge chance, um, she says, that the Conservative Party will not be in government next year when there's a general election. A lot of people are saying the Labour government is uh, is waiting in the wings to take over. But in terms of investors, investments, um, sectors, are you seeing people repositioning their business strategies or their investment portfolios in anticipation that there will be a regime change next year? Well, I think everybody, uh, investors, companies, uh, even in government themselves, uh, confidently expect that there will be a change of government next year. It's very normal. 
the Tories have had 13 years, and that's typically about the time they tend to have. Uh, and they always uh, reach the end of those sort of periods uh, pretty exhausted and, uh, and uh, you know, people are ready for a change. Uh, whether that change is going to be uh, is going to produce any significant um, uh, improvement for the people who vote for them is another matter. Uh, I think because, you know, wh whoever does win the next election is going to inherit the same problems that this government's got, which has a lot to do with the things we've just been talking about, which is the, you know, the public spending is uh, is, uh, is is out of control. Uh, taxes are having to be put up and the interest rate costs are eating up more and more of the budget. So the numbers just don't add up. So whatever, whoever wins the next election, there's going to be no immediate uh, improvement in things for for people, I think. Uh, and that's clearly what uh, Keir Starmer and co are saying. So, yes, uh, change of government. Um, uh, but let's just bear in mind, you know, what a radical change we've had in the last four years uh, since Boris Johnson won, you know, admittedly against Jeremy Corbyn. We've seen a complete change both parties are moving towards the center, uh, competing for the center ground. Um, but it's a very big change. And it just shows that people who say, you know, when when he won the last election, oh, well, you can look forward to 10 years in power. They always say that. Absolute nonsense. Doesn't work that way. But yeah, people are, are, are preparing for changing government. But the, the, the real problem is that the, you know, the really uh, worrying things are global rather than UK centric. I mean, we've got our own problems, but they're not uh, you know, the, the bigger factors of a slowdown in the world economy is going to be far more important for uh, what happens to people's living standards than what uh, any government does. So before we look at the globe in its entirety, I'm just thinking about Europe. So I um, took my first flight recently. I haven't been very far since lockdown, but I went to Nice for a couple of days recently. Not Nothing to do with the rugger, but to support my cousin, who was taking part in the World um, Ironman um, Championships, and he did very well. He was the first Australian to, to cross the line. But my passport was stamped. My new passport was stamped. And then last week, um, I sent someone a gift to Dublin, and I was horrified <laughs> because I got to the post office, and they said, well, have you filled out your customs form? And I said, what? I said, it's just Dublin. They went, yes, but you now have to to fill in a declaration form. And unfortunately, this, this present was a gift, but I had to reveal the contents, how much I'd spent on this gift. And um, it's, yeah, the queue behind me at the post office, um, a lot of people were very disgruntled with me. And and I almost got thrown out because I there was an expletive came out of my mouth because I was cross with myself because I hadn't been aware that I was gonna have to fill in a customs form to send a scarf to Dublin, but um, I I didn't vote for Brexit, and um, yeah, it saddens me. Right. Well, this is one of the what we call the fr trade frictions uh, that happen when you uh, when you're not in a uh, in a in an economic union with uh, or customs union with uh, other countries. So that is one of the negatives of of Brexit. Um, but you know, you could say, well. I don't mind having my passport stamped. I've had it stamped quite a few times now. It's quite like the old days when you presented your, you know, your splendid blue UK passport, and um, you know, imagine that people gave you a slight sort of cough of the doffing uh, uh, of the cap because of the, you know, the UK's great reputation around the world. Probably not the case now, but yeah, of course, that's a, that's a, that's a minor negative. It's an irritant more than uh, more than I think the end of your world, uh, Sarah. But let's let's be clear about that. Um, but how nice to go to Nice. I mean, Nice is a lovely place. And, um, you know, the France and France is still such a wonderful place to visit. I mean, I'm, uh, I'd go I go there frequently. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's not so bad. 
at the queues at the you know just to get into into the country and out of the country it seems to be working a lot better so um i'm not too worried by that but so um i don't go for iron man con contests so <laughs> i'm afraid my iron man days are long gone i'm uh, i'm more kind of you know if lifting lifting wine glasses is more my kind of scene yeah, he it's uh, it took him ten hours thirty one minutes nonstop activity, including swimming, cycling, and running. And I just said to him, "What are you running away from?" So in any case, I found it very upsetting. There was far too many athletes becoming quite unwell. But when I was in Nice, it was busy, but not as busy as London. So I was in London last night. I was in London a month ago, and um, yeah, yeah, town is busy. So it, it is the beginning of the Chinese autumn festival so i saw a lot of tourists um visiting from asia but it's it's just it's it's the busiest i have seen it since pre covid pre lockdown so the restaurants were full there was queues outside the doors of all the cafes so i was thinking this is extraordinary so the hospitality sectors and and um the the visitors coming to the uk that hasn't diminished well, it's true. And, and in particular, they, I mean, the Chinese have been coming here in, in large measure because they've just come out of lockdown for the first time in three years or something. And they were. So there's lots of them coming over to uh, to England, which is good. Um, yeah, you're well, you're right. It's very bizarre. I mean, I've been to London a few times and it is absolutely, um, absolutely buzzing. Uh, I was astonished when, uh, you know, at five, it was like good like the old days back in the city because, you know, half past four, five o'clock, everybody was standing outside the pub drinking. Uh, which is uh, a sign of what used to be. But I don't think that's true around the country. I mean, if you if you look at the statistics, you know, pubs are closing all over the all over the country uh, in Oxford. Uh, it's quite difficult to find a pub that's actually open seven days a week now. Uh, a lot of them only open, you know, Thursday to Sunday or something like that. Um, and of course, if you go into the middle of Oxford, which is where I spend, you know, see most of it, um, there's so many, there's so many restaurants and cafes and uh, hospitality venues, if you like. I mean, it's a miracle that there are so many, and you have to worry whether those are going to survive. It seems that people are still, you know, they're they're a bit kind of uh, not demob happy, but they're a bit kind of de-COVID uh, happy, if I can put it that way. Um, and they, you know, they all made some money out of uh, all the government handouts and things. They filled their bank accounts, and they seem to be spending it. Um, I think it's, um, I think it's it's good in a way. It keeps the economy ticking over. Uh, but it's not it can't last forever i'm afraid i'm afraid i'm slightly gloomy about the outlook for uh, for uh, both the markets and for uh, the economy but um, that may be just because i'm an you know an old guy and no, it's good I... to wring one's hands about how terrible things are but i don't i generally don't think so but i do think it is as you say you've picked on a very interesting phenomenon the fact that people are still spending um uh, and particularly on uh, eating out going to the cinema all those kind of things sort of in ha a habit perhaps for some of the younger generations so there is a cost of living crisis. So um, every afternoon I uh, help out at the local dairy farm and the dairy farm farmer doesn't make any money from the milk he produces. It costs him 17p a litre to produce. He's offered 13p by those who take the milk away and then bottle it and, and sell it. Um, so he this this coming month is the most important month for him because we are selling the pumpkins that he, his wife and I um, sowed in June. So I remember when we sowed it, it was red to hot in June. And we prayed for rain. We got rain. We got rain for about six weeks nonstop. And we have got 
tens of thousands of pumpkins. And when we're picking, we're talking to each other about how much we should charge per pound per kilo because we've got to anticipate what people are prepared to pay. So the, the majority of the pumpkins are large, they're heavy. And so we, we've been talking about this all week. What do you think the average mum and dad would pay for a pumpkin? So we haven't yet quite yet started the display, but we've got to decide soon because we've got to market this huge event and tell people how much a typical pumpkin will cost them. So this is the, you know, at grassroots level in the fields with our wellies on, how much will the average punter pay for a Mars pumpkin? And Mars pumpkins are the ones with the prickly stalks, the ones that the supermarkets sell for hours about 10 times the size. And then we, we do others like um, mashed potato, turbans, um, crown prints, things like that. So that's that's what's distracting me in the afternoon when I'm not in, in London. I thought you were going to ask me, you know, rather like politicians going to ask what the price of a pint of milk is, you're going to ask me what the price of a pumpkin was. And of course, I'd have absolutely no idea. Um, but I guess the question then for you is, I mean, if they've been good pumpkin growing conditions for you, are there going to be lots of pumpkins around because everybody else has had the same pumpkin, same same pumpkin experience? Uh, and probably more importantly, you know, what are your what are your costs? So, you know, you want to, um, I imagine you're not doing this as a charity, right? You've got to, you've got to kind of maximize your margin. You'll be, you know, you'll be doing, um, you'll be finding out whether you've got what we call, you know, pricing power or not. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it'd be very interesting to see. I don't know what is, give me a clue. What sort of range are we looking at here for a pumpkin? Is it measured? Is it just per pumpkin or is it presumably something to do with it's the weight great. of it? It is, it is to do with weight, and you're absolutely right. The growing conditions for pumpkins have been phenomenal, and we're, we've seen that in the next county that um, some farmers are already selling their pumpkins. So, you know, we've, we've, got, to, we've got to hurry up, but it, it is absolutely backbreaking. So you were saying that you were gloomy about the outlook for the markets, etc., but we are supposed to be giving investment ideas now the pumpkin market it's saturated so don't don't go into that so you can you know, just put that to one side um so what you know what are, what are the solutions you've been pretty gloomy all year to be honest jonathan about the markets but there must be opportunities there that we can share with people watching and listening well i think you know let's let's be clear about this if if we are heading into I mean, I think what this year has been about has been actually uh, it's been kind of uh, a reckoning postponed, shall we say, for, for some perhaps uh, explicable reasons that, uh, you know, a number of people have, have missed and and uh, perhaps I'm one of them. Um, but I think well, there is a reckoning coming due. We just because interest rates are going up and they're still going up and the bond market is still saying uh, is, is bond yields are also still going up, which is good for people who, uh, you know, who who are looking for ready sources of income. But it's not good for. Uh, the rest of the economy and the rest of the markets. Historically, that's always been the case. Rising bond yields are not good. And, uh, you know, this old saying, the Federal Reserve will go on tightening until something cracks. I suspect something is about to crack um, in due course. I don't know when, I don't know where it'll be. So the basic stance, I think, has to be one of caution. So you've got to be very careful. And it's not easy to find places at the moment which look attractive. One of them, though, is... Um, you know, the, the field that I specialize in, which is investment trusts, where we have seen this extraordinary de-rating, in other words, discounts uh, widening on a whole range of investment trusts. We haven't seen anything quite like it since the global financial crisis, actually, apart from the brief couple of months after the uh, COVID uh, hit. 
Um, and so there are some chances, if you believe that these discounts are really telling you the right story, there are some really good opportunities out there. And in particular, I mean, one of the ones I quite like, the Renewable Energy Trusts, um, they, they've been sort of reacting in a knee-jerk way to, uh, to what's been happening to bond yields. Uh, and it's logical, they should, they should uh, you know, their net, their net asset value should come down when bond yields are rising. But a lot of them are now trading on big discounts. You get a very nice yield, something like um, Greencoat UK Wind is, uh, has an inflation-linked um, yield commitment, which it's going to keep. Uh, and uh, it uh, makes uh, wind power. Um, and uh, even there's a lot of issues around wind power. That's actually a positive because the worse the conditions are at the moment in wind power, the more likely you are to make money out of it uh, when supply and demand comes back into balance. So I like those. Um, what else do I like? Not much, really. I mean, I really, really, I think, you know, Japan looks interesting. Uh, the yen looks interesting because the yen is very, very weak and I think uh, has been. And that's uh, classically what happens and has happened before we've had crises in the past uh, and that's been a very good place to uh, to be uh, if you if you're in expose yourself to the yen but there aren't a lot of things around and I really think that if you are you know thinking that somehow we're going to go back to the uh, the post GFC world in the short term where you know interest rates kept falling and, and everything uh, went up uh, I don't think we're going to see that yet but there will be a great opportunity uh, maybe not immediately, some opportunities now, but more likely next year, I think. Okay, you've left on a high. What about your book, Jonathan, finally? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I could be wrong, of course, I always could be wrong. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's one of the fun of being involved in financial markets, because they have the ability to confound everybody, even the smartest people. Um, but yes, I'm producing, I'm just very close to finishing uh, sending off to the printer the uh, the annual investment trust handbook that I produce, which is a summary of all the things that have happened over the past 12 months. Uh, lots of data, tables about performance. You know, you might want to look away when you look at those because they've been pretty bad with these big discounts uh, appearing. Um, uh, but also looking forward to what, uh, you know, what might be happening next. Uh, it's an awful lot of work, but it's a lot of fun and it's a good chance to, uh, you know, take a rain check on uh, on what's uh, what's going on around the world. And, you know, it's, uh, it, I'm happy to say it's been very successful. It seems very popular. And um, I went to an event the other day uh, organized by JP Morgan. They had a, a day for retail investors to come and listen to what their fund managers have to say. Uh, and I was uh, one of the, one of the um, you know, interviewers on that, uh, on that platform. And there they were, lots of, I, there was a ask for a show of hands, how many people actually listen to my podcast or, uh, you know, buy this handbook and, Quite a few arms shot up, so um, that was a bit of a fillip for me. So I'm hoping that we'll do just as well this year. But um, yeah, a lot of work, but you know, hard work never killed anybody, did it? It's a pleasure for me as ever to talk to you, Jonathan Davis. Thank you very much, and I'll see you next week when my back is less broken. <laughs> well, good luck with that, Sarah. I hope you feel a lot better next time, and uh, you know, perhaps a little bit of bit of Iron Man training maybe for you too as well would be good. No. <laughs> Thank you, Jonathan. Cheerio. This podcast was brought to you by Master Investor. For more investment and economics analysis, please visit masterinvestor.co.uk.